0: Mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world. This is the Gravity Bros podcast. I'm Alec, and I am joined by my bro, my brother, both of those things, Lucas. What's up, my bro, my brother, my bro, my broham, my My brodomless pit? My, I like that one, my brodomless pit. Speaking of which, the listeners can't see it uh, because this is an audio podcast. But I have quite the brodom. That's not what I was going to say. I was going to say that we are actually recording falling down a bottomless pit right now. We were scared at first, but now that we've realized it's just never going to go anywhere, you know, we had our equipment ready to go and we're like, hey, the audio quality is good down here, so let's give it a shot. Yeah, it sounds great. No one can see my bottom. So here we are. V- very, very good. Well, Lucas, before we talk about the Gravity Falls episode 14, Bottomless Pit episode, uh, I have a major correction from the last episode, which is entirely my fault and my responsibility. Ooh, okay. Because you see, this episode I knew was coming up, and I know that it's the Bottomless Pit episode that was following up the last one. I saw a picture in Journal 3. And I immediately assumed that because there was a picture of this hole, that it was referring to this episode. And it turns out it was actually referring to the last episode. Uh, with, a, with a very important insight. You speculated, man, it would be great if we had an entire episode of Dipper finding the Grem Goblin. It turned out that actually, Journal 3 does have that story. Which is funny, because I had said, wow, that sounds like it would be in some, like Journal 3, but it's not. I'm oh, wow. wrong. Uh, and I feel like it is worth an explanation because it's a fun little ditty and it's not that long. So, uh, just give me a moment here. Please do. It's so annoying. It's literally a picture of the Grem Goblin stuck inside this hole, but you can't tell that it's the Grem Goblins. You're just like, oh, th- this is related to the pit. I can ignore. Like, I didn't even think to read it. I just looked at the picture and closed the book. I'm like, what am I doing? So, what a day. Stan made a bet with Mabel and she's been left in charge of the Mystery Shack. Ridiculous, but true. She asked me to find a legit attraction for Grunkle Stan's tour, and I did it. I went to a spooky-looking part of the forest and built one of those tiger traps. It wasn't long before I caught something. Only one small hiccup. I didn't dig the hole deep enough. I thought I'd catch a gnome or a troll. The biggest I'd planned for was about werewolf size. I'd never have guessed I'd catch the very beast that almost defeated the author, the Grem Goblin. I slowly lowered my sack over its enormous head and the monster immediately fell asleep. I've seen Stan use this trick on Seuss too. Put a blanket over Seuss's eyes and he instantly falls asleep. Like a parakeet. True story. I tied one end of a rope around the sack and the other to the back of the golf cart. I dragged it out of the hole and back to the shack. Yes, finally. Dipper Pines Monster Hunter Supreme. If only Stan was here to see that I actually caught something other than a cold for once. I wonder if the author would be impressed is crossed out. Wow. So it turns out Dipper was not trying to find something that large. He was trying to find something that was going to be non-threatening, but that just happens to be the beast he caught, so we brought it in, which answers some of the speculation that we had, and I'm so sorry that I did not address it at the end of the actual episode that it pertains to. That's okay. Did you just notice later? Well, I noticed because I went to check today. I'm like, okay, time to look at the Bottomless Pit episode. Oh, and you were Uh, editing. editing... No, not even. I watched this one, and I was getting ready, because we've got Journal 3 coming up later in this. Oh, Uh, I see. see, Yeah, and I realized, oh, whoops, this actually pertained to last week. We do have Hmm. insights from Journal 3, but we'll get to that. Um, Lucas, this is as much of a filler episode as the show has probably ever done. Is that fair to say? You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily fair to say, because... There's not really much of a plot in a lot of season one episodes. Sure. Well, we've been sort of saying, oh, we sort of thought there were more plot heavy episodes coming. And uh, in response to that, it gave us maybe the least plot heavy episode so far. That's Which I true. thought was actually kind of funny. That is true. That is true. It's, it's just pretty much uh, a plot that sets you up for an accumulation of short stories. Yeah, and you know, a lot of cartoons have episodes like this because maybe they had some good ideas on the cutting room floor, but they weren't quite meaty enough for like a full episode. So yeah. the writers want to use these ideas, and episodes like this are a fun way to implement them. And regardless of whether it was filler or not, I still had a really good time with it. You know, I I I, I wrote um, beforehand. I like I had like my pre notes, and I actually thought that this might have been one of my favorite episodes because I didn't really remember it, but I remember Me too. I remember loving it. Um, And I also remembered that um, one of the things that falls into the bottomless pit in this episode actually pops out of a portal in a Rick and Morty episode. That's right. I remember you saying something like that. See, and those kind of little things make it super awesome. Yeah, and I kind of like all the stories that are told, and there's, you know, good character development and stuff, and the, and the bottomless pit concept is kind of fun. I'm excited for what you're going to bring up for our the, Journal 4 today. Uh, so I've got, yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm stoked to talk about this one. I've got a good one for Journal 4 today, bro. I'm very, very excited to talk about it, and it's okay. maybe not what you're expecting, or exactly what you're expecting. We'll see. Okay. Um. So, yeah, you know, even though uh, we are getting, like, a couple short things here, I had—it I, is interesting to me that I had the same memory as you. I remember really loving this and having it be one of my favorites. And I wonder if, you know, it's because the concept is strong, and it's one of those that sticks with you and feels nostalgic in hindsight. Because you're like, oh, yeah, the bottomless pit. That was neat. You know, I think it is something like that, because— Yeah, the uh, the minute I saw this, I was like, oh, this is such a cool idea. They're suspended in a bottomless pit. And there's actually an episode of Adventure Time that I compare this to that does the same or a similar thing where uh, I think Jake gets stuck on a thing in a bottomless pit. And the thing is, I actually didn't remember what happened at the end of this episode either. So I was like, how do they get out of this? Like, how does the bottomless pit thing end? And I kind of forgot. And in Adventure Time, it turns out that there was just a fan blowing underneath this thing so it wasn't actually a bottomless pit it was just suspended and you couldn't tell and then like finn comes into the end and like saves jake and uh, oh that's interesting fixes the whole thing so i was like oh wait did they do something like that i don't remember and uh I I won't spoil it, honestly, so that people will, will, you know, keep it on the edge of their seat, but they don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. For what it's worth, I actually think that Adventure Time ending idea is a little bit stronger just because I think it's a bit more unique, but... um, Oh, oh, don't even get me. This isn't an Adventure Time podcast, but I certainly could make it (laughs) me. I know, I know. So uh, (laughs) let's uh, start recapping the episode here. So cold open, Stan walks to the group, or walks with the group, uh, to the bottomless pit outside the mystery shack. Stan pretty much walks them out there just to throw a bunch of stuff out. He had a bunch of, uh, what exact, do you remember what he had? He was throwing out papers. I'm sure it was like tax forms or something. No, no, he was there to throw out the Mystery Shack suggestion cards because the people's opinion mean nothing to him. That's right, that's right, that's hilarious. And, you know, Mabel was like, great, you know, I'm gonna throw some love letters from Gideon down there. I think Seuss threw his shoes. Mabel also brought a mysterious chest which actually does come back later yeah i guess that kind of ends up being the most important uh, plot area of the episode kind of you know and dipper he's pretty logical right out of the gate he's like uh, a bottomless pit is actually an impossible scenario which probably true uh and i guess in the end kind of did end up being true in a way so was dipper right here well, I mean, sorry, am I skipping ahead too far? Do, do I, we want I don't to know. save the meta discussion? I, I, yeah, well, I well, I mean, saying <sighs> a bottomless pit isn't possible. I don't know. About Listen, that. we there's g- we'll have, I, I guarantee you we will have a chance to dig into that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, this wind comes through. It's like a storm, and Dipper's like, "Oh man, we got to get out of here, everybody!" But Stan is for some reason so obsessed with trying to throw away these suggestion cards um, that he starts to get precarious, so they try to save him, and next thing we know, we've got Mabel, Dipper, Seuss, and Grunkle Stan falling down the bottomless pit, and, uh, that's the end of the cold open. And, you know, it was pretty, it was a pretty funny setup that, like, you know, they did that, like, slapstick Grunkle, just like, oh, hold on, gotta throw, oh, the, the wind's blowing him away, I gotta make sure they all get down this hole, and then, like, everybody tries to save him at once. It was kind of funny. I thought it was funny. And then another note I actually took that it's it's easy to forget talking about because we don't have a uh, the video playing in front of us, but I really loved the background music at this cold open. It was really subtle and like I don't it's it wasn't something you'd really notice, but I it just was very charming and also I think played into that nostalgia a little bit. Really good catch. I'm gonna go back and listen because I feel like I missed it. So thanks. Hello, is this working? I can't reveal my location again. Whoever's following me must be listening. They do not want this puzzle solved. We need to know what they're hiding. I've managed to decipher the next clue. A reward for your efforts. You've come quite a way. The last three letters are there to stay. There aren't many pages left. This should be over soon. Remember, I'm counting on you. Now, uh, very quickly, they are afraid that they're just going to hit the ground. But after a little bit of panicking, and I think Grunkle Stan trying to play some card tricks and losing his cards, Seuss yeah. decides, hey, let's tell some stories. And that is really how we get into this uh, scenario where each character decides that they're going to tell a little short story. So let's just go story by story, okay? Because yeah. that's how I wrote my notes. I have There's four stories technically written out, Okay. Number one by Dipper is called voiceover. Terrific. The gang is playing, spin the pig outside, Dipper runs up, he's got a snake bite and is in literal panic mode, asking to be taken to the hospital, but they're so distracted by his squeaky voice that they totally ignore it. And then he starts ignoring it too, because he's like, hey, my voice isn't that bad. So snake bite is never addressed again. So funny, by the way, like, guys, this is serious. I need to go to the hospital. Oh my God, I can't even hear you over that squeaky voice. What did you even say? It was just like, ah! <laughs> they made a remix. Yeah, that's right. And then they made, they actually remixed his like voice cracking on a tape. Just, yeah. So he gets so upset that, uh, you know, he does not go to the hospital. He storms off to run uh, somewhere else and finds old man McGucket, uh, who he yeah. acknowledges for the first time since the Gobble Wonka episode, which I actually thought was interesting um, because McGucket has sort of, like, No, he around. was in Summer, he was in, oh, no, he was in Summer... Yes, Ween. he was in Summerween. But this is the first time that Dipper has actually acknowledged, oh, you're the old guy who, like, um, made that monster machine. It's just interesting to me that he has never acknowledged him in that way, despite seeing him multiple times. Actually, instead. you're right, that's a good point. Dipper was like, hey, you're the guy who almost killed us with the Loch Ness Monster Machine. But you're right, he's, like, interacted with him other times since then, right? Yeah, it makes me wonder if there were maybe some shuffle, there was sh- some shuffling that went on with the continuity. But- well, it's, it's like what I said about the Summerween episode, though. That was kind of like more intentionally filler to match the theming that Disney probably asked them to do. Wait, I know what it is. Very what? simple. Uh, this story isn't real. This is non-canonical. So, yeah. really, he can say whatever he wants. Like it, At the point that he's telling this story, it could have taken place right after the Gobblewonker, if it was true at all. So, it's because we're taking a likely right. fake story that happened in a different place in time, it actually makes total sense. That's hysterical. You're right. Silly us. Cool. Glad <laughs> glad that we went on that tangent. Yeah. Um, but he, he goes to this... Uh, or he's in this dangerous alley where he finds McGucket, who takes him to a junkyard, not suspicious at all, uh, to give him a potion that will give him a new voice. When I saw that, um, southerly looking fellow- wait, no, you should cut that. How do I say this? In oh, way? I'm not cutting this, you're gonna have to figure it out. Oh lord, okay, well, when I saw this hickey dude pull out that potion machine, I was like, oh my god, what is he about to give Dipper- because I mean, you helium with... changes your voice. You know, maybe it was just a like, harmless helium balloon. That's all I was saying. I don't know what you were you... thinking about. You went with hickey. You know, like a meth reference. <laughs> you know, like chemical. You know, like uh, okay, right, Never. Mind. I'm sorry. I asked. I'm sorry. I asked. It's I, just I a, a whistle. It's just you know. <laughs> it's a rural. It it's just a thing, you know, in real communities. I don't know. Sorry. There, there's a great podcast I listen to, uh, uh, the Purple Pants podcast, where uh, one of the hosts has a whistle, so that when his other co-host goes too far, he's like, all right, slow down. I'm like, I need a whistle sometime. Honestly, we need a, we, we need a safe word. Yeah, when anything regarding certain substances comes up, I'm just like... Right. Uh, sub- you, you mean subjects, is what you meant to say, not substances. That is a hundred... Sorry, subjects, yes. But... Uh, <laughs> So, McGucket, in this sequence, also traumatizes a child who shows up, and he just goes, You can run, but I'll still be in your nightmares! (laughs) That was a good line. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Um, But he totally gives him this potion, and suddenly, Dipper has, like, a super deep voiceover commercial-type voice, and I actually think it's hysterical. Yeah, you know, it was pretty good. Even at one point, he, they make, like, a reference to it. Uh, Dipper has to run away. He, like, gets made fun of really hard, and he runs away. He's like, I need to go get Grunkle Stan. I'll be right back after these messages. I mean, uh, 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 uh I'm leaving. Yeah, playing right into it. Because it <laughs> he literally tries to show Mabel his new voice when she's sleeping, and she flips out and starts, like, attacking him with a golf cart. Yeah. Like, who are you? Yeah, I mean, and that's a reasonable thing. Like, if you if you were, like, in bed and you suddenly heard, like, a super deep voice that you didn't recognize right above you, yeah, dude, I'd probably freak out, too. That'd, freak, that'd be super scary. Oh, totally. Well, and uh, Seuss also hears the voice and he just goes, kill it with fire. It just starts, like, smacking the broom at him. He even, like... even clears out the whole Mystery Shack. He's like, everybody get out. Every, we need to kill this thing. It's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I-, I loved the whole sequence. But I think that's uh- also funny because both of those characters recognize how easily a metaphysical thing could be causing an actual problem in this moment, so they need to react immediately. And that's also kind of funny. Oh, absolutely. And the only leverage that he ends up getting out of his new voice whatsoever is a prank call that he takes some pride in. And... <laughs> After he leaves the shack, he coincidentally ends up to the person he prank called, which is the bouncer for the bar that is in Gravity Falls. And something that I never noticed until this watch was that he he goes into the, he looks at the bar and he goes, guys, we got a prank caller. And like all of these big muscly dudes run out of the bar to beat up like a 12 year old. And one of them is the coach from the swimming, the swimming pool episode. Cheese. okay that's a random note good job oh because that, it's very i just thought that place. was so funny that that like crazy you remember the how crazy that swimming pool coach was though He's, he's like, you know, everyone else is in, like, biker outfits, and he's still in the red t-shirt and, like, white khakis running after Dipper. It was freaking hilarious, dude. Jeez, that's such a good observation. I'm sad I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah, you um, gotta look for that again, because when I saw that, I was like, wait, is that the pool guy? What is he doing here? Why is he in a bar? And why is he going after Dipper? Dipper. Look, dude. He's anybody great. can be in a bar, and anybody cannot like prank calls. You know, I'm <laughs> more yeah. likely—I'm more likely to dress as uh, the swimmer fellow, probably compared to the bikers or anyone else in there. And I hate prank calls. Would I go after a 12 year old? Probably not. But I would say, kid, it's not worth it. J- just picture a gruff PTSD soaked Alec at a bar, in white khakis and a red T shirt, running after a 12 year old. Uh, should I blow the whistle at PTSD soaked? <laughs> Alright, um, so, anyway, Dipper finds his way back to the junkyard to McGucket, um, and he offers him another, uh, potion for a totally different voice, but Dipper ends up, I think taking the one to, like, make him back to normal, and he puts the new one in Stan's coffee instead. Totally not cool, by the way. No, super messed up, joke. I'm gonna get my whistle ready. No, I, I, I don't know, Yes, yeah, see, you're the one who, I've blown it on you now, look at you bringing up some nasty jokes. Alec, what do you t- what do you mean by that? I just yeah, putting all- anything in somebody's drink is very bad, and nobody should do it. Yeah, man, never make a, someone a drink ever. Just give them water. Don't put anything else in it. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I understand. I <laughs> <laughs> literal, um, <laughs> hydration's good. Everybody drink water. That's all. All I'm it does is have Stan sound like a no nonsense grandmother, and then this story ends. Very cute, and also kind of a nice little like. Story about self exceptions because Dipper also realizes that he should love his voice because it's unique. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know what's funny? Most people say that they hate the sound of their own voice. Do you? Do you fall into that camp? No, me neither. I I love the sound of my own voice, dude. That's why I'm able to podcast with you so easily. Uh, you no, know, that's probably just because we're egotistical assholes. Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. You know? <laughs> well, listen, I'm gonna I'm ready to double down. Um, <laughs> Here's my genuine reasoning. It's not because, well, at least I don't think it's because I have like an insane opinion of myself. It's more because I recognize that just about everybody hears their voice and it sounds differently than they feel like it is coming out of their mouth. So they don't like it most of the time. I'm like, well, if everybody else feels like they don't like their own voice, chances are nobody is sitting there thinking, oh, Alex's voice is weird. Alex's voice is this, right? So why do I have any reason whatsoever to be upset about it? You know, I have honestly never thought about it one way or another until right now, anyway. So so now I know some reasons why I should be upset about. It. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> about your own? No, sir. I'm you've got a you've got a golden voice, Lucas. <laughs> never never See, try to take a potion from an old man I, in a junkyard. Well, I already have done that before, unfortunately. But um, whistle. <laughs> I don't know even about, where, where are we going? We're just talking about Gravity Falls. It's a kid's show. You're, you're crazy. We sure are. Speaking of which, let's go to story number two, which yes. is titled Seuss's Really Great Pinball Story. So this one's definitely my favorite just because A, I was at a bar the other day and was playing pinball and I had a great time and I love pinball. So the fact that that, and I watched this in the same day, so that was kind of exciting. Um, And the other reason is just because this design for this is just so cool, dude. Like the, well, I, I shouldn't, they, they end up going in a pinball machine. I'm spoiling it. I'm excited. I don't care. It, it's really awesome what this pinball machine looks like. And I, I don't know why, but like, you know, whenever I've played like a Mario Kart game, that's like on a pinball looking thing, like all that stuff, it does seem really cool to me. I don't know why. It's like the idea of like running around a hamster toy setup. You know what I mean? There's just something awesome about it. <laughs> yeah. It's that kinetic energy. Yeah. 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 That's it. It's movement. right it is and we've got like cool colors and sounds and yeah i i agree there's something super super awesome about it um in this story Seuss wants to get the high score in the pinball machine that i think is in line somewhere in the mystery shack Mm -hmm. so Dipper and mabel convince him to tilt the pinball machine to get the high score once his um pinball falls to the bottom or whatever yeah and He calls it the best moment of his life, even though he cheated, which for me is a little weird for Seuss. Well, I mean, it's just showing you how much he really valued that high score, you know? Yeah, regardless of how he got it, I guess. But as a result- I I had a video game high from Digimon World the other day, and it was, it was, it was incredible. (laughs) I'm not even kidding, people, like- Lucas texted me when this thing happened <laughs> I did I've got to give some people some context This is one of our favorite games from when we were children And we've had it probably like 15 years at least Maybe that might longer be like, even Probably longer It would have to be like 20 yeah. And um, I still Lucas have the had... same memory card I have that same memory card too And he has had the same file for this game Like this entire time And he's almost completed it And I guess you went back to it now and y- you were able to digivolve into a form that you never had before, which I know yeah. for some people are like, this is so stupid, but <laughs> no, no, it's, it's so dumb. And honestly, the game is trash too. There's a whole like mechanism where the Digimon has to poop. It's lifespan is super short. You only get one of them. And after they're an ultimate and you can actually like win with them a couple times, they die after like four days and then you have to start all over again. So it is actually a very terribly designed game, but I love it to death. I love it so much. <laughs> Dude, me too. And when you texted me that, I had the biggest nostalgia blast. I was like, yes, man, that's so awesome after all this time. Oh, my God. And you know, my profile name is still Zach because he started it. He started the file, our cousin. What? Oh, that's a really awesome fact that only I care about, but I'm still blown away by it. Yeah, I know. I know. But when you when you come over, I'll show you uh, all the stuff that I've been logging. I actually just today watched a YouTube video to like find all of the items so that I can go get every item in the game too. Great. Well, let's get back to Sue, who has <laughs> yeah, now sorry. been stuck. No, you're good. Who has now been stuck in the pinball machine as a result of his cheating, and so have Dipper and Mabel. Uh, you know, there was this green light, and immediately I was like, "Dang!" I talked about Polybius too early for inducting something into Journal Four. Because that's the funny. literal arcade machine, uh, sort of coming to life, gave me. Uh, oh, that's of a that. good point. Still though, that was a good one. I, I one of my favorite lines from that moment too was that uh, Mabel just goes, "Yeah, we're cheating, taunt, taunt, or something like that." Taunt, taunt was the quote that I wrote, and uh, you know, obviously, the machine ends up putting them in the in the game. So, uh... yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about a cool thing where the. There is kind of, like, a creature, I would almost call it. This skull at the top of the machine who ends up being the character that uh, is being interacted with. Yeah. And I feel like he's another underrated, quote-unquote, creature of Gravity Falls in this scene. He's really cool. For real, for, for like, this pinball, like, demon creature to have, like even a small part within a mini story of an episode, it's such a great design, you know? I mean, they didn't waste any artistic talent even on the short bits, and I love that, you know? I I think that it's, yeah, the voice acting is good for it. It's creepy, you know? It's got control of this whole world that they're in, so, you know, it's like, you know, when you're inside of a pinball machine that can control itself, that's kind of creepy, you know? It was great, I love it. It's kind of like, reminds me of almost something Ray Bradbury would write, you know? ooh, yeah, no, I I hear that. And um, the skull is like a cowboy because that's sort of the theme of the machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I feel like I should probably acknowledge something just because I noticed it and I was like, oh, this may be not great. One of the few things in my uh, memory that did not hold up great from Gravity Falls is that Mabel's costume when she transports into the machine is a little bit of a Native American stereotype. which It is. You know, it's very subtle, and on its own, they might have been able to get away with it. But they did sort of make a joke with some like music that I was. Gonna, I wrote that down that too. Actually, yeah, they like made a little flute sound, and she like did a little twirl and was like, "I found my calling" or something like that. Yeah, not great. I, I it, it's interesting to me because those stereotypes were so extremely prevalent in early cartoons. Like it was almost rare to not get them. They were that common. And over the course of time, uh, you know, they've weaned, but it's interesting that, like, even as early as, like, 10 years ago, they were still kind of around, and it's only now that some of those are starting to fade off, so thought it was and worth talking about just for a second. Even still, I would say that stereotypes are just very common and just kind of change through time, you know, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, social nuance changes depending on the era. And, you know, we learn things and realize, oh, that wasn't great. We shouldn't be doing that anymore. I think the important thing isn't to worry about the consistency, but worry about knowing what offends people and not offending people, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's safe. So with the pinball machine, as much as I love this whole sequence, Seuss kind of sucks in this. And I never say this about Seuss. I know! You agree? Because he... there's a couple different reasons, right? So there's this woman character in the machine who keeps getting distracted by, which is basically just a cardboard cutout, and Dipper has to spin it around to remind him that it's not a real person. So he's unwilling to help Dipper and Mabel get out of the situation because he keeps getting distracted by this. And then, when he has the opportunity to just go inside the machine to turn the off switch... He realizes, because of some writing, that doing so would erase the high score that he'd gotten. And I I wrote down the exact line that he said, uh, which was... I already know what line you're going to say, because I think I wrote it down, too. You know, yeah, that's right, because uh, Dipper and Mabel are telling him that they could literally die, and Seuss goes, What is life compared to the immortality of a high score? Yeah, and... Without some very serious persuasion, I don't think that he would turn the switch. I mean, I guess in defense of him, he sort of did do it when he saw the kids the most in danger. He was like, okay, it's time to do this. Uh, But come on, Seuss. Come on. Some would say that he really dropped the ball. Man. Also, some would say that that pinball machine got really tilted. See, yeah, I want to throw sound effects in here or something. <laughs> we'll see if I have the uh, creative effort to, to go yeah. sit down. Well, it was hilarious regardless of sound effects, so I didn't need to hear the laughter. <laughs> um. Well, anyway, Suze ends up... Sorry, it's not a switch. It's a button. Suze presses the button. They go back. One little thing that I wanted to mention that I found hilarious is that the skull has a line. Get ready to meet your maker, kids. Mine is Ballway Games in Redmond, Washington and which is also the game company that created dungeons dungeons and dungeons in another episode that'll be coming later incredible and redmond washington being a weird er, being a real place in the pacific northwest is yeah i, I just yeah. love that little reference i bet it was and that specific town for a reason i think it's a spin-off of an actual vi- uh pinball company that does exist in the pacific northwest because I remember actually uh, when I was working at the Crystal Ballroom in Portland, I actually met somebody who was a pinball, uh, like, or, like a um, retro pinball machine refurbisher. And he oh, was, that's like, awesome. It was super cool. So he sat down and talked to me for like three hours at the beginning of my shift one day. Uh, you know, because like drunk people just love talking to you when you're a hotel staff, especially at night. Um, so I just talked to him for a super long time. And he told me all of this awesome history about pinball machines and like, where you could get, how you could get cheap ones and like, you know, uh, what the the highest quality ones were and the ones that he worked on and the coolest ones that he worked on. And it was awesome. (laughs) So I think that I heard about it from him, but my memory might not be perfect, but I think there is actually a Pacific Northwest pinball machine, uh, company. Okay. It's interesting because I just saw a random Reddit comment. So take this with a total grain of salt. I've done zero fact checking. Um, but I was looking while you were talking, and it, it seems like maybe the uh, Nintendo America headquarters is in Redmond, Washington, or uh, something like it. So that might be part of the reason for the reference. Oh, interesting. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the next story, uh, because next we get Grunkle Stan, And, you know, for as awesome as Grunkle Stan is, I feel like this was a little bit of a disappointing segment. He, and I guess they have to get a story in for every character, so somebody no. has to be short. It's hilarious! I loved it! What are you talking about? I Literally, I didn't even write any note except lol. Great. Oh, well, do you, you want to describe what happened? Because I feel like if I do it, I may not approach it with the same level of enthusiasm that you have from oh, you wow. very much enjoying it. The, the, other, the other note I wrote... Well, I didn't write this as the note I called... Because mini, every mini-story had a title except his, so I titled it Grunkle is an American Hero. <laughs> and that's essentially all that happens... It's just, like, a, a very short compilation of things happening that glorify Grunkle Stan, like, you know, like an American flag, and eagle, and, like, fireworks. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, the, you know, it was just some silly over-the-top, like, woo, Grunkle Stan's awesome! That's pretty much all it was, right? Yeah, he wins the football ball. Uh, he yeah, gets that's the football! Down. America stuff. I don't just... care about this country, but, you know... <laughs> The football team thanks him for his contribution. He says he couldn't have done it without his sidekick, FootBot. (laughs) And uh, all the kids hate the story, which so did I. Yeah, but he even put in a robot for the kids. Uh, Little, uh, I'm just going to jump to the cipher early. The cipher for this week was, next up, FootBot 2, Grunkle's Revenge, Which, I speculate, is either the title that we did not get for that story... Or it's, you know, alluding to maybe some sort of sequel. I actually think it's more likely the first thing because we didn't get a title. Maybe that was their way of sneaking it in. You're right. That would be cool. I'd be happy with either. If there's a sequel, I'd watch it. Totally. All right. Well, last we get the story called Truth Ache, which I interpreted, I sorry, I interpreted to be the longest, probably because it was the most plot relevant. Yeah. I mean, only in the sense that it actually ties into why we're in the situation in the first place, which in all honesty, I kind of didn't expect and they didn't really need to do. So it was kind of a nice writing thing for them to do because you know what they could have done. They could have just had another story and then it ended and then they come out of the hole at the end. That's really all that needed to happen. So the fact that they actually, which I'll get to in a moment, we'll get through the thing, but the fact that they didn't just do that easy ending, I commend them for that. It's tighter writing. It makes it more interesting. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Uh, it makes it more fun, and it makes it feel like the story that you're watching has stakes. And, you know, for people like us who are enjoying watching Gravity Falls, partially because of the story, largely because of the story, I would even say, uh, you kind of want to give people nuggets in every single episode so that they have something to walk away with. Definitely. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, the, the episode starts with uh, Grunkle Stan is going to teach a bear how to drive. Um, Great open and <laughs> they get pulled over by the cops because a bear is driving so obviously maybe he's not driving that great they're not driving that great probably i'm assuming right so they get yep. pulled over uh State is like what's the problem officers and <laughs> i don't remember exactly what they said but there's a bear driving the car so it's a funny line it's <laughs> so good um, no it, it, i agree it's hilarious. And he says, I have a doctor's note. This is my seeing eye bear and has to drive for me. And he writes with a pencil on the inside of his coat, a note that says, this is a seeing eye bear, Dr. Medicine. Iconic. And it's, (laughs) it's so very Grunkle Stan. And actually being able to fool the cops with the con. Iconic. Oh, iconic. That is Grunkle Stan, dude. I con because the eye joke seeing eye oh no i was going with the con part icon oh Oh my goodness dude the galaxy brain thinking right now what is going on jesus we got some yeah we got some major major brained comedy here everybody (laughs) goodness all right well later on mabel criticizes him for lying uh but he says sometimes you gotta lie for the greater good uh and at that moment uh, he blames Seuss for eating Dipper spaghetti right in front of Mabel, which just makes her angrier at the situation. Uh, and I love Mabel's moral compass, always trying to help Grunkle Stan being a better person, and failing most of the time. Yeah, I actually did write that, like, this is such a realistic plot. And it's funny because I forgot that this actually ends up being a real thing, because it's kind, it's kind of assumed that maybe all of these could be non-canon stories, you know? So... I was imagining this as just like, oh wow, what a realistic thing that would happen in the universe. Like, even though Mabel's telling the story, I was like, wow, what a believable thing to happen to these characters. And then it turns out that, you know, it actually does, this, we'll find out that this did in fact happen. We'll get there. <laughs> Absolutely. So Mabel asks Waddles for advice and opens Journal 3. And I think this is the first instance of Mabel actually looking through Journal 3 herself, which I found a little bit interesting. Um and she finds something, and they're called Truth-Telling Teeth. Do they explain where she finds them, or does she just have them? I don't remember. It felt like it gl- got glossed over really fast. I-, I think suddenly she just has them, and I'm sorry if I, I missed a note there. Yeah, I think um, Alec and I missed that. I-, I don't remember how she got them, but somehow she gets them. And you guys know probably what this will be, right? Grunkle puts on, you know, she gives this t- teeth to Grunkle. And at, night. He, at night. At night. I like at how night. you emphasize at night. Like at like
1: night at, at night,
0: like he wasn't conscious. She put those things in his mouth while he was sleeping. <laughs> taking out the trash, taking out the trash. Yeah, I, I know you're trying to sneak in a SpongeBob. Get get out of here. Ah. Oi. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and then Grunkle obviously ends up doing nothing but telling the truth, and it's hilarious because the truth is horrendous to tell constantly. It it's not so much all the time. It's so much worse, so much infinitely worse, and, and in a very realistic way too. <laughs> because the funny thing is that you can't imagine Grunkle being a worse person, and he's built to be a bad person who always says the wrong things, and he comes across as being very candid and being truthful. So to add another layer of deceit or um another layer of truth to what he's doing, um and I mean obviously he lies about um. We know that he lies about cons, like he lies to tourists and things. But when it just comes to his casual conversation, you expect that he's very forthcoming to everybody. And when you find out that's not the case, and he just starts being rude to every last person, I actually feel like it teaches us something extra about his character. Uh, That he does have some kind of, at the very least, an understanding that you can't just say these things to people. Right? Well, I think that there's also, like, I think that there's also an overarching moral, because I still think that Grickle Stan is a very straightforward character. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that into question still. But I think that, like, there's just an overarching moral of, like, if you actually did just say literally every single thing that came to your head. Even if it wasn't rude, like Grunkle Stan also happens to think rude things about people, which I think that maybe not everybody does on the other (laughs) hand, too. But, you know, I think even if you didn't think rude things about people, it would still be problematic if you just constantly told the truth about everything you believed all the time, you know, because there's context matters, you know, and I think that's more what they're going for less of Grunkle's personal character, actually. Well, I already skipped ahead to the cipher, so let me go ahead and skip ahead to the insights from Journal Three, because uh, the only section that's relevant in this book, and this time I'm sure, uh, is the author's entry on these truth teeth. Oh. And it turns out that he actually had a very similar experience to Grunkle Stan, where the truth telling got him into trouble as well in a very similar way. He was he got like a speeding ticket and then told off the authorities. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that, you know, the truth, even for people who are not like uncle Stan is better kept inside a lot of the time, at least the pure unadulterated truth for no specific reason. Yeah. Everybody wants to lie to a cop if they were going like five to 10 miles over the speed limit and are getting a stupid speeding ticket. Everybody should lie to the cops for that. I defend every single person lying and saying that they were not speeding. Right. And obviously, like, people should pride themselves on honesty or whatever, but I think we forget about, like, the very tiny lies. I will not even say lies that we tell, but the truth that we withhold, and I feel like that's the thing about the Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. They're not stopping you from lying. They are stopping, I I guess, the, uh, the, uh, uh, I I don't want to say gate, but, um... Filter. Yes, thank you. They are stopping the filter uh, that maybe you might say some things that you would regret, which is ultimately what happens. Yeah, would be hysterical to do for a day, though, especially if you could just blame it on the thing, you know. Well, I mean, oh, that wasn't Grunkle's... me. <laughs> that was the team. Look at Grunkle Stan's day, right? Uh, He writes on his taxes that he commits tax fraud. He calls a customer ugly. He (laughs) questions morality and upsets the children when he gets into existentialism. Oh, no, no. I wrote that that whole quote, actually, because that was my favorite. They're like watching a television show just casually and laughing. And Grunkle Stan just says, sometimes I think, (laughs) is this all there is? Is life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline? And we're all just biding our time until the sweet release of death. Alex Hirsch delivers the line so well go ahead yeah and Mabel literally just like shakes in the corner for a second like really disturbed by that thought and the funny thing is to me who's gone through philosophy it's like such a basic existential thought you know everybody's like oh that's you know it's just it really isn't like oh, oh is this all you know get over yourself everybody's thought that at some point in their lives or they haven't been thinking very much have they right it's relativity but um <clears throat> I do love anyway. the kids reaction but the kid's reaction is funny because not every 12 year old's thought about that, and I think that's a little bit different. <laughs> so, um, anyway, the cops come back. They found out that there's no doctor medicine in Gravity Falls, and that's a rare moment of them doing their due diligence to check. Uh, Stan starts telling the cops all the truth, and Mabel is the one who comes down with the lie to uh, get her grunkle out of this situation, which. Ah, interesting. I I would like to say also that this does make me think that (laughs) Grunkle and probably the other guy had more problems with, uh, keep, they had more secrets that they probably needed to keep than most other people. Like, how many people have, like, probably a million accounts of tax evasion they could get arrested on that they probably should never talk to anyone about? Yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe <laughs> in america a lot of people but i don't have that issue personally i don't think <laughs> no if anything it would probably be something that you know you weren't sure about but you decided not to call anybody in check <laughs> and yeah then, exactly yeah yeah you're right <laughs> not funny. to say that i can say that i've been in that situation but but you feel you probably got it right but if somebody questioned you you might believe them if they said it was a lie and yeah you're right you're like, oh shoot did I actually do that wrong? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, Mabel tells the cops that Stan is saying these things because he's a science fiction writer, and then asks Sheriff Blubbs if he's lost weight, and that's good enough, so they decide to leave the scenario. Deputy Derland says something like, Oh, maybe you can teach me to read. Yeah, he's like, oh, First of all, that was a good voice. Second of all, um, yeah, he's like, Oh, you're an author, maybe you could teach me to read. And you know, I don't know if they're going for, like, like do, who do you think the joke... Who's at the butt end of this joke right now? Is it, like, small-town people or cops? Or small-town cops? Um, huh. I don't know Or is know it if that specific either. character? Are they going for commentary? I don't know. I, I think they're going for continuity. Because a few episodes earlier, Mabel made uh, a reference to... I wonder if that guy can read. And I think it was related to, like, the time where they uh, find quentin the old president or whatever yeah so yeah, yeah right, it, right. i i think it's but, more like a callback but, but do you think his far... illiteracy is a character trait or like a like an intentional like joke you know what i mean probably an intentional joke i don't know how far i want to speculate about uh yeah I, i'm exactly just thinking about it. i'm like who's who's at the butt end of this joke because i really can't actually put my finger on it I mean, there can be characterization that's not commentary, so there's also very much a chance that that's just his thing. Because It uh, could just be a silly thing. Yeah, because Sheriff Blubs is not that way. Yeah, I uh, mean, I think that there is kind of a thing. The cops are intentionally incompetent. Incompetent, some would say. <laughs> ah! That's why they're doing it. I'm sorry, everybody. Didn't mean to get too heavy-handed there. They all did it for that joke, incompetent. I'm sorry. Obviously, that was the only thing. We're, we're done. <laughs> Surface level. Let's go back. <laughs> yes, that's well. The real reason was so that two brothers, ten years down the line, could discuss it in more detail than was ever intended. Exactly. It, obviously, this was like the silly writing from Quinn Quentin Trebley that has just come through ten years later. I we figured it out. I I'm a genius. Trembly. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. it. That, that was the closest. I'm way. Cl- I got way closer than I had any right to get. Definitely. I think you were worse on the episode itself, so... Uh, yeah, get, that's way. true. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we see Mabel pull these teeth out and throw them in the bottomless pit, which is a reference to how the episode started, and it well, ties that's... it all right back around. Yeah, she puts it in the box, and then they all start walking out to the pit together, and that's how the episode started. And Dipper, you know, the flashback ends, and Dipper goes, Mabel, we know this story. This literally just happened. And again, clever way to actually write a short story to where it actually like open and shut the episode and created a sorts of sensibility to it. Um, And it still gave us kind of an exposition of a couple different short stories. I thought it was really cool. I really liked what they did with this. I'm glad that they only did it once. I think if they did this more times, it would be annoying. But uh, the fact that they did it this one time, I think it's a sick episode. So Mabel's story finishes. They do end up for the end falling into some kind of wormhole and popping back up to the top of the bottomless pit right before stan falls in again (laughs) and then the end credits are just him falling basically the entire time yeah i feel like you know you mentioned that adventure time ending where it turned out it was a fan the whole time i like where they play with your expectations and i feel like this is kind of a predictable way out of the story i I don't know maybe a if the wormhole had had something unique about it, I might have been more interested. I didn't hate it. I mean, it's fine. fine. The thing about it is that that wormhole, I, I, that doesn't work all the time. Because they do throw stuff in there that doesn't come back out. Oh, so you're saying that they might have gotten lucky this one time, but it's not always the case. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Because, again, they've, they've thrown items. I mean, we saw in Rick and Morty. I don't know if that's actually, like, continuity. But we saw in Rick and Morty that the wormhole goes there. And I actually remember seeing, I almost feel like this is in the journal. There's something on the bottomless pit in how the dimension works underground. And that there's actually like something that switches where it goes. Oh no, did I actually miss another thing after I said, don't worry everybody, I checked. Uh, All right, filibuster, filibuster, I gotta know. Okay, I, well, I don't remember if I saw that online or if I read it in the journal. I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty sure I read it in the journal. Because I've read it all the way through, just as a story, you know, but I don't, like, necessarily remember everything about it. So, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that there is something about how it functions. In I can tell you that it's not in order. That uh, there is not a page following the last episode that is in regards uh, well, can- to the bottomless pit. But a lot of, here, let me bring out my copy, because a lot of uh, stuff in the book is written twice because of Dipper's entries later. I mean, that is true, and I don't know if the author wrote anything about the bottomless pit, but I scrolled through and I didn't think I saw anything. Wait a minute, why am I even looking at this in a book? I should just look it up online. (laughs) Oh yeah, actually, that's a lot easier, and that's gonna make sure that we don't miss anything. I just like the paper in my hands, you know? Yeah, I do too. Alright, I, I, yeah, at this point, um, I, I'm feeling pretty confident that it's not there. But I'll be ready to correct myself in the next episode if I'm wrong. Um, I feel like I'd actually have to look into it a little bit to figure out how it works. Well, that's Better. fine. We can uh, come back to this. And if somebody in the Discord knows, feel free to let us know. Which, by the way, is a good time to say, um, if y'all are fans of this podcast, the Discord's really fun to hang out in. And there's lots of awesome people who talk about cartoons. We like cartoons, so that's cool. I agree. Alec, who did you give your points to today? Because I had a hard time with this one. I did too, because I felt like in reality there were probably four options. Because even though we got some different characters baked throughout the episode, they were all part of like these sub-stories, and I I, I felt like I wanted to go with a couple of the main characters who were actually in this bottomless pit situation. That's exactly what I wrote too. I was like, we pretty much have four options. Let's see what we come up with. So, and I had different feelings about everybody, because Grunkle Stan, I thought that he had the worst story, personally, even though he was funny in Mabel's, um, and also, like, I've had other Grunkle episodes that have stood out more to me, so Mm -hmm. I I didn't give it to him. Then Mabel, um, again, Mabel's an amazing character so many times, she just didn't stand out in this episode for me that much, and then she kind of lost a point for me with the stereotype. I'm like, can I give a point to her that episode? Uh, (laughs) oof. Um. So I, And even though Seuss sucked, like I said earlier, he had the best story, so I wanted to give one point to him for that reason alone. So I'm rewarding the point for the story. And then I gave two points for Dipper because I thought he had the second best story and really good character moments. Also, he was the most sensible throughout the whole episode. So I felt like this was a good episode to give my points to Dipper. Nice. I have an interesting take. So, like I said, the first thing that I wrote was I can only pretty much give it to four people, but I actually am bending the rules potentially a little bit oh, because my of something that you said. So, I gave one point to Dipper for the same reason. I thought that he was just the most solid in, across all stories. Um, nothing huge to write home about, but like I liked him. I thought he was really likable in every story, and uh, you know, I I don't know. There's I, I thought overall solid Dipper across the board. Like you said, Grunkle made me laugh more, but he was also kind of awful. Mabel was great and Seuss was great, but they were both also kind of awful. Dipper wasn't like that great, but he also wasn't awful. So he's he's at least landed, you know, firmly there. Right. So then I decided to do something funky, Alec. Because you know how you said you're going to, you gave those points to Seuss for the story? Yes. I'm using the same logic. I'm giving my two points to Alex Hirsch for the story. Because Whoa, this what? was so sick that he did all of these, you know, things, even if he he may not have actually written all of them himself, but I'll, I'm a, at least crediting him for the direction. Um, I just thought that it was so cool that he did such a cool writing job with this and tying in the, the, the mini stories into the actual plot. And I figure that there are going to be other stories that are very well written that have such powerful character moments that we're never probably going to give him points again. So I'm like, this is the perfect episode to give him points. Okay. I feel like you are giving him points because of a collective effort, more so than the episode itself. But you what feel you like mean? this is the time. What because, like, let's be honest, of all the episodes that Alex Hirsch has written or been a part of, like, this is a fine, but I feel like he's been worthy of points in many other cases. I'm surprised that this is the one you choose. Is it well because but, of lack of other options? I was gonna say, is he more worthy than the characters that shine in those moments? Because when he writes, the thing is, man, when he writes good episodes, usually the characters are also shining, and we're probably gonna want to rave about them. Which is ultimately <laughs> what this is for. Like, we can't just give Alex Hirsch points for every episode, even if we love the writing. You know, I get your point that the character of this episode is the story structure itself. I think that makes some sense to me. Yeah. And I think that the thing that's the best about this, this episode is the stories. And let's be honest, all of the stories are even within the canon of the episode. Okay. Except for maybe one or two created and written. So the fact that it is pretty much just a showcase of the writing anyway, I want to give it to the writer. All right, man. No further questions. I I, I love the creativity. And yeah. I think the door is open for Alex Hirsch to get more points in the future. I, don't think I do not too. Is the book. Yeah, I do too. I think that there are definitely, the thing is, I thought of other episodes that I love by him, but those episodes, I just have, they have such powerful character moments. So I feel like I usually won't have another opportunity. And this one didn't have phenomenal character moments, but was still really well written. So it's a perfect medium. Fantastic. All right, Lucas, let's talk about our journal four entry today. Let's talk Um, about that. So for a moment, I thought about going with wormholes um, because there is speculation. Einstein himself, you know, factored wormholes into the theory of relativity. um, And yet we have yet to actually find one. There's some mystery there, but it's also very physics-based and science-y. And I feel like I wouldn't be able to talk about it with proper authority. Definitely. Um, I feel that. So... I went to the cryptid wiki and just googled bottomless hole, and that led <laughs> well, me down a rabbit hole of a couple different searches, that's which funny finally joke. got me to something fascinating. Have yeah. you heard of Mel's Hole? I'm guessing not. There's a couple jokes I'm thinking of, but no, not not, not any real, real thing outside of the internet. Well, as to whether it's real, I guess we'll find out. Uh, I'm going to read you the Wikipedia description. Um, the legend of the bottomless hole started on February 21st, 1997, when a man identifying himself as Mel Waters, appearing as a guest on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, uh, claimed that he owned a rural property nine miles west of, uh, let's see, it's Ellensburg in Kittitas County, Washington, that contained a mysterious hole. According to Waters, the hole had an unknown depth of at least 80,000 feet. He claimed to have measured its depth using fishing line and a weight, although he had still not hit the bottom by the time 80,000 feet of line had been used. He also had claimed that a neighbor's dog who had passed away had, the neighbor had pushed the dog into the hole to, like, bury it, and then it came back alive uh, sometime after it was thrown into the hole. Uh, And according to Waters, the hole's magical properties prompted U.S. federal agents to seize his land and fund his relocation to Australia. No way. There is a... An example of a r- alleged bottomless pit in Washington. Dude, I think the Gravity Falls episode might be loosely based on this idea. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, th- I think it's that's... genuinely a you possibility. You said 1997? Yes. What is this called? There's there's another person who claims that it's real too. Um, cause, okay, but well, dude, the story gets crazier while you're looking this up. So, Waters had made guest appearances on the same show in 97, 2000, and 2002, and rebroadcasts of those appearances have helped create what has been described as a modern rural myth. The exact location of the hole was unspecified, yet several people did claim to have seen it, such as Gerald R. Osborne, who had used the ceremonial name Red Elk, and told reporters in 2012 that he visited the hole many times since 61 and claimed the U.S. government maintained a top-secret base there where alien activity occurs. But in 2002, Osborne was unable to find the hole on an expedition of 30 people that he was leading. Wow. What a fascinating thing. I'm going to look into this one. This one seems like fun. This one looks like a fun one to, to, to stumble through. And the wildest part of all of this is that later investigation revealed that no such person as Mel Waters ever existed. Hmm. Interesting. So, the person who brought this to the forefront in the first place, I, you know, either there was a pseudonym or was never real. There's there's some weird stuff going on here. I think most likely this radio station pulled a fake campaign to get people talking and brought in like a fake name of a person and then it like evolved into an urban myth wow i like this one this I mean, is so no, nutty no matter what it's weird and fun and stupid and i think these are some of the most fun things to talk about on the show um a geologist says that a whole of the depth claimed would collapse into itself under the tremendous pressure of the uh, uh pressure and heat from the surrounding strata so, oh, I mean, that's I'm probably sure... a point against it. I mean, I'm sure that in reality, if it's anything, it's just a really deep hole. I'm sure the guy measured it like. I mean, what, what, what let's say you said they used a weight, right? Let me see. Uh, yeah, a fishing line and a weight. You're correct. So, let's just say that he, he's probably not dropping it down there very quickly, right? Because he doesn't want to hit the walls. So, what if it just hits the ground and he didn't notice? And he just keeps unwheeling and unwheeling and uh! unwheeling. <laughs> Okay, that's kind of an amazing point. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, the, he's using a fishing line and a weight, okay? Like, <laughs> even within the context of the story, there's probably, maybe maybe a second test should have been done or something. The interesting part is that the dog died and came back alive. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, so, give me a scale of 1 to 10. Not a, necess- well, yeah, about the fact that a hole exists, and it's very, very, uh weirdly deep how about that <laughs> you know the, the government conspiracy of it gets me interested just because that stuff is fun so i'm gonna give it a five just to get people jazzed about searching for it <laughs> that's awesome i'm gonna give it a one because i think it's ridiculous really i i think I'm it's kind of to- i guess you're right i i think that in reality that doesn't make a whole lot of sense I believe it's a pure radio campaign. I think the fact that the guy never existed makes me feel like it was all a ruse in the first place. But yeah, I'm going to give think... it a two. I'm changing it to a two. You convince me. <laughs> I, I will say, though, I think that the fact that he never existed adds an extra layer of mystery that could make it even more mysterious and awesome in the event that something along those lines were real. Well, uh, that's how so... conspiracies work. The least amount of information that you have, the better for you to fill in the blanks right and that's why i'm gonna stick it where uh i'm sticking it however there's lots of articles about this thing and i do recommend people looking it up if no other reason just like for pure fun because i think it's awesome yeah i think it's fun i i don't i mean i don't know what to believe in or not because as far as i'm concerned this is all a hilarious story of fiction anyway so you know it's it's just a good time regardless of whether or not it's true right yeah man i'm with you well another great chat let's wrap it up here This podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. As you know, great rewatches of shows and movies on there. And then the Dragon Babies feed through that network is where our podcast is homed, housed as well. Uh, Check us out on Hezzer Brothers Cartoon Theater on YouTube, social medias, Discord, you know the gist. Uh, Thanks, Tessa Scarborough, for our cover art and the voice of the mysterious woman, Anna LaFleur. We'll see you all next week. Happy Stoomphys!